Good morning. Glad you are here today. Uh, we have been in a series we've been calling Legacy, and we've been talking about how to leave a legacy, especially uh, as it relates to, to things spiritual. Uh, and so um, we're just kind of going forward today, we're going to kind of wrap up that series, and then next Sunday we're going to kind of talk about Lent and, and how that works together. And then the Sunday after that is Palm Sunday, and we'll celebrate that God is about to do something big, which is what Palm Sunday is all about. And then Sunday we are going to celebrate the resurrection. He is risen. There you go. You did much better than 9.30. So if you're watching at 9.30, sorry, but you did much better. So welcome to all of you that are joining us online as well. We're glad that you're with us uh, today. So um, last Sunday, we kind of, uh, we talked about what I think of as one of the harder things for me to talk about, which is money. It's always like, uh, kind of hate that. So today we get to talk about something I love to talk about. Uh, and, and I ended last week kind of tying into what's going to go on this week uh, by, by talking with uh, this slide. Whoops, one back. Um, this slide, when you, when you have more than you need, build a longer table, not a higher fence. Uh, since that's kind of been popping up, that one has really kind of struck me. When you have more than you need, build a longer table, not a higher fence. And, and let's be honest, if you live in America, we have more than we need. We kind of told you last week, if your household income is 33,000, you're in the top 1% in the world, okay? We, we, we are blessed beyond all imagination. And so for me, I think a part of this is that tables uh, have a lot of warm memories for me. Uh, family gatherings, uh, sitting down with my parents, uh, card games, uh, uh, games around tables, friends uh, around tables. Uh, like I've said, I grew up in a little church and it was very, very common for us either to have people over after church or for us to go other to, to their houses a after church. And so I'm going I'm to date myself a little bit. This was a really big deal because my mom would always put a roast in the oven, you know, and you kind of timed it so that it would be in there long enough so that you could get out of church and get home in time. So by the time all the guests came over, the roast would be just perfect. And so if the preacher preached over, the stress in the church went, you know. In fact, I remember my mom getting up and leaving a couple of times because it was like, because there were a couple of times in there when we had preachers that would preach just a wee bit over every once in a while. Uh, and so... For me, the table is just this wonderful symbol of life and laughter and games and even serious stuff and conversations and tears and all of those things. So much of what's really important in life happens around a table. And in Christianity, it's a very big deal too. In fact, in Christianity, the table is a core symbol. It's a core symbol to who we are. In fact, if you look at our communion table, okay, it's a little one, but, but it represents this idea of, of table, of gathering, of, of being together, of being in connection to one another. Uh, and, and it takes on all kinds of meaning in Scripture as well. One of the great images of tables is the great banquet table of God that we are going to all join one day in heaven. Amen? I mean, it's going to be fun, and I am absolutely, it doesn't say this in the Bible, but I got a word from God, it's going to be all the flavor and none of the calories. That's just that's the way it's going to be when we get to the banquet. No, I don't have a word from God, but you know, I just, it's going to be a great time of celebration. We enjoy time and fellowship and connectedness uh, around, God's, uh, around God's table, uh, and, and all lots of important things happened around the table. Uh, when, when, the, when communion was initiated by Jesus, it happened around a table. When he washed the disciples' feet, it happened around a table. A lot of his teaching happens around tables. He was always going to somebody's house to eat around a table, uh, and so much, much, much of the gospel gospel uh, happens around tables in all kinds of interesting sorts of ways. And so um, the table represents communion, the central unifying legacy of all Christians. 
Let me say that again because it's kind of a mouthful. The table represents communion. We have the communion table and all that that represents for a life to come and life in this life. And that that is the central unifying legacy of all Christians. It's the Father's table. It's the family meal. It's the place where we are all one no matter what your life is like. It's a place of unity and what we call framly. Say framly. Framly, that's friends who are like family. We want to be a church that's, that's family. We're not all related biologically, but we are all related by the blood of Jesus, amen? And, and it is the ten, this, this, this central unifying legacy that, that we have uh, that has been passed down from the, from the very beginning. Uh, in fact, all kinds of things in church come and go. I don't know if you've known this, you've lived long enough, you've, you've seen things come and be in style for a while and, and then go out. I remember when I was a kid, and this is going to be a big deal. And I grew up kind of in the 60s and then in the 70s. I kind of became the piano player. And there's this wildly controversial music that was coming into the church called the Gaithers. Okay. I mean, they were like, they were not in the hymnal. Can you do Gaither music? You know, it was a big deal. And, and so and I remember that being a, a deal in my church, you know. And, 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 you know, now we do rock, all this sort of stuff, you know. And in the early church, I don't know if you know this, I... I did uh, um, church history as, as a minor when I was in college. Uh, when, when they introduced harmony in the church, it nearly split the church of Jesus Christ because you can't do harmony, you know. And then when they introduced organs, ooh, it was like 200 years before they worked that out, you know. And things come and, and, and things go. People do different styles of, of music. People do different styles of church. Some people build them in the round. Sometimes they're long, you know. All, all of the, even styles of preaching, do you know there was a time when preachers would preach for an hour to two hours? I was born in the wrong generation. That would have been, <laughs> you're like, <"Ugh." laughs> it, 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 but you know what has lasted? The Lord's table. That one element of worship comes from the very beginning from Christ all the way through the disciples, all the way down to generation, to generation, to generation, to generation, to, generation, to us. And so this is the, the unifying legacy that, that stands with us uh, forever. So we need to talk about a couple of things. Um, and so what we're going to talk about today is what I call sacramental legacy, our sacramental legacy. How many have heard the word sacrament before? Okay. How many of you kind of got an idea maybe what, what that means somewhere in there? A few of you do, yeah, it cuts it down a little bit. So let me give you kind of a working definition. A sacrament is kind of a theological, theologian sort of term, but here's what I think about. Sacrament, the way a theologian will define it is a means of grace. Say, means of grace. Good, that'll make all my professors happy. Now let me tell you probably a little easier way to understand it. I think about it as a God encounter, or sometimes I like this one best of all, a grace delivery system. That a sacrament is a grace delivery system into our lives. It is a way that God invades our lives. This is a way that we open ourselves up to God's working in our lives in special kinds of ways. And in the Protestant church, we recognize two sacraments. The first one is baptism. Uh, that happens to us once in our lives. When we become a follower of Jesus, uh, we get baptized. And by the way, if you're a follower of Jesus and you have not been baptized, uh, on Palm Sunday, we do a baptismal service. We would love to baptize you. It is, it's, a, it's a powerful sort of thing. You can just Mark on your communication card, baptism, put it in. Make sure there's some contact information uh, in there. And, and there, is a, there is an encounter, there's a grace delivery that happens in that moment. I've been doing this pastoring thing for a long time. And over and over again, people will say to me, Pastor, I, I got baptized because I knew it would make you happy mostly. You keep bugging me about it. And so I thought, okay, I'll go ahead and get baptized. And you kept saying something happens and I didn't believe it. I have a pastor friend who likes to say, say something happens in the water. 
And over and over again, those people will say to me, when I came up out of that water, something happened to me. I don't have a good explanation, but there was just something. God did something. And well, that, that's a grace delivery. That's a, that, that's a sacrament. And so the second one that we recognize is communion. And the reason that one's so important, because we're supposed to do it all the time. It's supposed to be regular. It's a regular way, a normal way of opening ourselves up to God and, and, and what he wants to do. Uh, and, and in those moments, in communion is another time where God delivers grace into our lives if we will allow him. And so that's why it's so important that we pass this down uh, as a legacy. So let's begin by backing up and looking at kind of how we got where we are today. So it all started with Passover. You all know what Passover is, like ancient Israel and all of that. So just quickly for those of you that are maybe going, eh, I don't know what Passover is. I got passed over for a job once. That's not what we're talking about. So um, Passover was way back in Israel's history. Uh, the Jews were, were in slavery in Egypt, uh, and they had multiplied, and there was a lot of them. Uh, and, and so God heard their prayers and, and was going to deliver them. He calls on this guy Moses, sends him in to have an argument with what probably would have been like a stepbrother to him. Uh, and, and he goes before Pharaoh and says, set my people free. You can guess how that went. Uh, didn't respond well to that. They, uh, Pharaoh gets into a war with God. You can guess how that went. Uh, the last thing of it was, was the uh, de angel of death that was going to come uh, and, and kill all the firstborn if Pharaoh wouldn't do. And so the children of Israel were instructed to put blood on their doors, the blood of, of the lamb that they had slaughtered and eaten. By the way, there's the first meal in this process that they shared together. And so the angel comes and, and kills the firstborn, which is a brutal story, uh, but, but the the end of that was that they let the people go free. And so for, for Passover, there's this wonderful story where Passover represents for them freedom from slavery. Okay, let me try this again. Now, now keep in mind we're talking about King of Kings, Lord of Lords, eternal life, and what God does for us, right? So Passover begins with this great story about freedom from slavery. Yes, we should all celebrate that. That is such an important thing. And, 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 it, and it becomes a part of, of the, the narrative of, of, of Israel. And let me just explain a little more at, at Passover. They, they represent it with uh, two goats is what would happen. Uh, every year, two goats would be brought in for that. And, and they would choose lots between the two goats. And one of them... Um, I'm not sure whether it's the winner or the loser, but they got taken into the temple and, and they were sacrificed. Their throat was cut, the blood would come out and they would use that, that in the sacrifice. They would be the sacrificial lamb, the penalty for sin. And then the other goat, they would bring into the middle of the people, they would put a red thing around the forehead, kind of like Christ and the crown of thorns. That's there's some imagery there we won't talk about today. But, but and then they, they would get him there and then the priest would put his hands on the goat and he would begin to pronounce all of the sins of the people. Thief, adulterer, blasphemer, liar. And he would go down through that in the presence of the people as they watched their sins literally being laid on that goat. And then that goat, that, that what we come to know as a scapegoat today, would be, would be led out of the city gate. And when they, they'd go out of the city gate, there'd be a, a great roar of thanksgiving because literally their sins were being taken away. And, and the goat would be led into the desert where it was never to come back again. They would lead it so far that it could never get back. Imagine what it'd be like to live in the desert and have that goat show up at your house. You know, <laughs> but it, it would go away. And so, so Passover is this wonderful celebration of, of freedom and life that, that God has given to them. And, and so that's why, that's why the Thanksgiving component comes into it. How many of you have ever heard the word Eucharist? 
Eucharist, yeah, I, I have people every once in a while tell me, Eucharist is Catholic. I'm like, no, it's not. It's Greek, you know. And, and it means thanksgiving. And, and so the, the, with Passover, there's this great sense of thanksgiving for what God has done to us. And gone for us and to us. Uh, and, and that comes down to us in communion. Every time we come to the communion table, there should be a deep sense of thanksgiving for what God has done for us. Our sins are forgiven. We are free. Wow. Okay, Easter's coming. I expect more on Easter, all right? <laughs> that, that, that we have been, so that's why we call it Eucharist. That's why I use that word sometimes because it means thanksgiving for all that, that God has done. And then in the New Testament, you remember that communion was started with Jesus as a, at a Passover meal where he's literally with them and he passes the elements around. And then into the New Testament, it kind of morphs a little bit and it becomes a, a love feast. Because no longer do we have to make sacrifice. You don't need any goats anymore because Christ was the sacrifice. Jesus paid it all, amen? And so that, that part is done. And so, so now they begin to, to share these meals together. And the central theme of that is, is love for one another and love for God. And so if you have your Bibles, Acts chapter 2. And then we're going to go to 1 Corinthians in a, in a minute. But I just kind of want to run through this because this is the, the, the end of, of the second chapter of Acts. And what's happened is the story has been complete. God has come in Christ. He lived amongst us. He taught. He gave his life for us. He was risen on the third day and broke the power of sin and death. Amen. And, and then uh, he left and went back and the Holy Spirit came. Uh, 3,000 people are saved on one day. They're baptizing them everywhere as fast as they can go. Anywhere there was water, they were baptizing people for a while there in Jerusalem. And now we come to the end of the day and we get a description of that early church. It's very infant church and, and what's going on. And, and it says this in Acts chapter 2. They were continually devoting themselves to four things. The apostles' teaching. That's preaching. That's the word of God, the Bible to fellowship, that's connectedness, family, to the breaking of bread, that's eating together, and to prayer, to those four things. Those were the four foundations of the life of the church, that we commit ourselves to the teaching of God in his word, that we commit ourselves to fellowship, to connectedness, that we commit ourselves to the breaking of bread, which is communion, and which is the meal together, and to prayer. And then a couple of verses later, it goes on to say this, day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple, so the temple was where the large teaching happened, which is kind of what we think of as Sunday, and breaking bread bread from house to house. So again, they've come back to this meal kind of thing. They were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart and praising God and having favor with all the people. And there's a very, very important lesson that you need to get out of this, an important theological lesson, and that is this, God initiated potlucks. <laughs> I'm only half kidding in all of that. Because, because actually, this is where we get the idea of communion, of communing together. That it is in the love feast that we get the idea that we have communion with God and we have communion with, with one another. That we are family, that we are connected, that it's the Father's table that nourishes us. And that we have life together. And so, so in Passover, we get the celebration and the Eucharist. And, and in the, the love feast, we get the communion. And they would meet in churches together, in house churches. It, it's why um, life groups are so important to us. Because in many ways, the church is most the church when you gather together with a few people you know and love and care about. You cannot know and love and care about everybody in our church. You can't even remember all their names. Trust me, I try. You know? 
it, 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 and, and so the church is this. This is the teaching moment. It is in, in your homes that, that we are the church and that we live together uh, as, as the church. And then I, I know that out of that, there's kind of a teaching that's important, and, that, and that's this. There's something spiritual about a shared meal. Have you noticed that? There's just something about breaking bread with people, uh, about talking together over a meal that, where God just moves in and God speaks and it's messy and sometimes it's complicated, but there's something powerful when we take the time to stop, slow down, and spend some time sharing a meal and sharing life together. It just, I just, I can't recommend that to you enough. I, 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 this is kind of silly to say, but I would love it if we became the, known as the church of, of, of shared meals, you know, of broken bread. Maybe we should have named the church that, broken bread church. No, probably not. Um, but, but it's, this is, I just, I want you to get a hold of this idea of how important the sharing of life together is around a meal, and that comes to us eventually uh, in communion. So, uh, again, if you have your Bibles, uh, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three through 29, what I want to do now is I want to walk down through the passage that is most often said when we take communion together. It's the one that I say when we take communion together, so these will be uh, familiar uh, to you, uh, but I, I want to take the time to break it down. I say it every time, and I don't don't really very often get a chance to break it down. So let me give you a little context. In 1 Corinthians, we are now 25 to 30 years after Acts chapter 2. We know they're all excited and everything's good. So now uh, it's, it's Paul writing to a church at Corinth. They are not Jews. They don't really have any sense of Passover or, or what that means. And the words he's writing, he does not it never occurred to him that 2,000 years later, people would be using this in a ceremonial meal because it really wasn't much of a ceremonial meal uh, at that point. So he's actually doing some uh, specific teaching about this. And so let, let's just walk through this and then we'll make some application. Uh, the first line is, for I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. I don't usually use this line just because the person that taught it to me didn't put it in, but I'm actually going to put this back in because this is so cool. So it says, I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself, except he wasn't in the room to receive it. So what's he talking about? And that is, I think there's a twofold receiving that happens in this. There is a sense in which we receive communion from our fathers and our forefathers, and before that, all the way back to the early disciples, that we have received it from them. But there is also a sense in that moment when we ask Christ to come into the communion that he is present with us and I receive it directly from God. That, that, I think that's what he's getting at. I have received this from, from Christ the Lord himself, that there is something, so there's a sacrament, there's a, a means of grace, there's a grace delivery system that's happening in that moment. Uh, and then he goes, on the night he was betrayed. And this is usually where I start. Who do you think of when you hear this line? On the night he was betrayed. Judas, yeah, this is what I, I always think about. I was kind of reading some stuff about this, and it dawned on me that, that Paul did something here or left out something really important. He didn't name Judas. A number of places when they talk about Jesus' betrayal, they'll name Judas. It's like, he did it, you know, okay? But he didn't. And so I just can't help but wonder if the Apostle Paul, who was the great persecutor of the church, for whom Christians probably died at his hand, when he came to this realization of betraying Jesus, he wasn't willing to blame Judas because he was keenly aware that it was his sins that nailed Christ to the cross. That the betrayal, certainly Judas did that, but that there is not value in, in the second sin. You remember Genesis? The first sin is rebellion against God. The second sin is that woman you gave me, you know? In this moment, the great persecutor of the church isn't willing to say it was Judas's fault. He was saying, on the night he was betrayed. And the implication is that we are all a, a part of that. And so it goes on. 
he took bread. Bread was the staff of life. It, it, their whole system depended uh, upon bread and it represented life itself. They thought of life as cyclical. So uh, if, if you have a Christian burial, uh, someone like me will stand over the grave and say, ashes to ashes, dust to dust, from the earth we came into it will return. If you were at Ash Wednesday, we kind of talked about that. They also saw that in bread. It came from a dead seed, it died, and then it grew up and it gave life, and then it died and it went back, and they saw the cyclical. And so when they hold bread, it really literally represented a life to them. It represented their bodies to them in some very uh, powerful uh, kinds of, of ways that for them. And then he goes on to say something that I think is, this is just the most amazing part of the whole thing. He says, and when he had given thanks, now he knows that this bread represents his broken body. And still he gave thanks to God. That, that is, Jesus is, well, this goes without saying, but let me just say it. Jesus is way ahead of me spiritually. Because if I know my body is going to be broken, I'm not giving thanks. That's not what I'm thinking about. I'm generally going, please get me out of this. Please get me out of this. Oh, don't look at me like you wouldn't do that too, you know? I mean, we all would. And so there's this powerful moment where, where Christ literally owns it and embraces it and, and says, I give thanks to you, Lord, for this bread that represents my broken body. And then it goes on. And he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The body would represent the suffering that he would take. You, you know that he didn't just die a painless death, that there was a whole ugly kind of beating and torture process that, that went ahead of that. And it was a reminder that these bodies are temporary and that he took on himself the penalty of our sin. And the penalty of our sin isn't just death, it is suffering. Amen? Man, look around our world. There is plenty of suffering around our world. And he took that on to him. And then the next symbol kind of gets to the death part. It goes on to say, in the same way, after supper, he took the cup. And there were a number of cups. This would be the last one. This cup is the new covenant. Woo-hoo-hoo! The new way of grace in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. And they believed blood literally represented life because they'd see it pour out of an animal. The animal would die. That must be the life. And so when you pour out your blood, you literally give your life uh, for that, that other uh, cause in there. And then, then we're reminded to, to do this every, every time uh, we eat to remember, to remember, to remember, to remember, okay? And, and, and so the, the next line then goes on to say, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now this is an interesting passage because it says, Whenever, and the word, the word actually means every single time. It's not a broad word, it's a particular word. Whenever, every single time you do this, remember. And, and you all are thinking about, yeah, that's like the first Sunday of the month when they have communion. But that's not what it was in the ancient world. That's not the way they were talking about. They were talking about every single time they eat. How many times a day do you guys eat? No one wants it. Several. That was a, that was a diplomatic answer. <laughs> you know. Well, I'll own up to three, you know, but we're not going to talk about the little snack in between and then the evening snack before we go to bed. And whenever you eat, remember, remember, remember. And there's a sacredness to life and to eating and to bread that is to remind us of what Christ has done. And we are to do it until when? He comes. 
And for 2,000 years, the church has been doing it over and over and over and over again. And here's the good news. Another style will come into church, I'm sure. They'll do different music in my grandchildren's generation. I'll probably hate it. Uh, and, and the, but they will do the Lord's table. Amen. Yeah. And that will stay and to our great-grandchildren, to our children after them. So, real quickly now, some important truths about sacramental legacy. Number one, and we've talked about this a little bit, communion is a means of grace. It is a place in which God comes in, and the reason we do this is because he told us and because we access God in these moments, and that's why it's so important. Say, means of grace. Say, grace delivery system. Yeah, the God encounter. And then um, communion and baptism are our oldest legacies. They go all the way back to Jesus. Everything else has changed one way or another. Style of music, style of preaching, style of dress, style of buildings. All of, all of that has changed. The one thing that remains is baptism and communion. And it is the one thing that will remain after everything else is gone. And then communion is an affirmation of belonging. Can I just say to you, you belong here. You are one of us. We are family. I know you were hoping for a better one, but sorry. We are family. You, 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 when we take communion, you were one of us. And it doesn't matter how much you've achieved or how little you've achieved, how much money you have, how little money you have, how big your sins are, how little your sins are. And, and by the way, there's not really a lot of difference between the two. The difference between the two is some people have sins you can see pretty easily and some people don't. But everybody has fallen short. Yeah, let's try that again. Some people have sins you can see easily. Some people have sins that are harder to see, but everybody has fallen short. Amen? Amen. That's, that's just the truth of it. You are here. You belong. You are a part of us, and we love one another even through the hard stuff. Amen? Okay, that's why we celebrate open communion, because everyone is welcome. It's bigger than this church. It's bigger than our denomination. It's even bigger than our generation. It goes back for generations before. It will go for generations uh, after us. And then, and this is really an important one, children are spiritually formed by taking communion with family and family. It, it, there's something about that moment that, that, that forms them when they, they do this spiritual act with their family. It's why we do intinction. Intinction is that where we have the, the, the bread and the, the, the juice and, and we make you come down here. And, and one of the things we encourage you to do is take communion as families. And so we'll see families come down and they all take a piece of bread and somebody says, the body of Christ which was broken for you. And then they all dip it together and someone says, and his blood which was shed for you. And there's a sense of unity in life in that moment. It, it has an impression on those kids. And, and, and the honest, the truth of the matter is this. We are intentionally leaving a mark on your kids, on their souls, that remind them that they are a part of something bigger than this moment, than this time, that their religion isn't just something that comes and goes, that it's something they did with their parents. And I would love it if some service you would have your grandparents here and you could do it with three generations or four generations. You take it together. Not, all, not only that, this is so important that we form our children with this, that they remember it, that we actually have the children help serve communion. I've caught in some guff for that, but I'm absolutely right on this one. And we'll have the kids come down and help hold the communion. We don't let them hold the juice because that might get a little more exciting than we want it to be. <laughs> but we have them hold the bread. And you hear their little voices say, the body of Christ, you know. And all of a sudden, mom and dad or grandma and grandpa, you find yourself taking communion from your own children or grandchildren. Don't you think that leaves a scar on them?
but the good kind of scar. A mark that forms them spiritually that will not be easy for them to get away from. In fact, I honestly believe that adult children value sacred legacies. There's something about that that goes through to the next generation that is so powerful for them. They learn by participating, those children do. It's like, how how, how did your children learn to make Thanksgiving dinner? You sit down with your five-year-old and give them a check-off list of everything you have to do, cook it at 3.50 for two hours. No, what'd you do? You said, come help me, right? You know? And they start out doing, uh, my first chore for Thanksgiving dinner was take out the garbage. Boy, that was informative. That really helped me. You know, that was my job to take the garbage. You know, and then I'm peeling potatoes and carrots. And, and then eventually it goes on and you talk about how long you should put the turkey in there for and the spices and, and all of that. And, and, and nobody ever gives them a checklist. But one day, you find that you're going to their house for Thanksgiving, not them coming to your house. How did they learn? Come along. Help me. No checklist. So it is with communion that we learn by participating in the sacred meal together. And then um, communion is the opportunity to offload guilt and shame. And there are some of you that carry a heavy load of guilt and shame. There are things in your past that you are not proud of and that you would not want anybody to know about. In fact, I've been doing this long enough that I am pretty persuaded that almost everybody has in their life somewhere a secret file. And these are the sins they don't want. Maybe your spouse doesn't even know. Something that happened back there, something that there's a, there's a, a secret file. And the devil just keeps loading up on you and coming back about that and accusing you. You know, one of the, the titles for the devil is accuser of the saints. And, and, and then when we come to, to communion and we say the body of Christ which was broken for you and his blood which is shed for you, forgiveness, forgiveness. When I, when I think about this, I think about some of my growing up, growing up years. I, I grew up in a little church and uh, every year when I was a teenager, the teens would go backpacking up into the Olympic National Forest. There was a guy by the name of John. In fact, he came here and preached a, n- a number of years ago uh, for a mission thing he does today. And he, he would take us up into the Olympics for, for a number of days, a, a week or so. And we all looked forward to that. It was such a great thing. And, and I remember as we would get there to, to go backpacking that um, there was a little distribution, you know, with how much you had. And so John's idea was teenage boys carry the most weight, right? That was his, his and he had like this iron grill that went into our back. It's, uh. and, and, and so we, we would get there and there was a, a girl in our, in our youth group that um, her spiritual gift was whining. That was kind of her spiritual gift, you know? And, uh, and, and so every year she would start out complaining about her backpack being too heavy. And, and, and so John would ride up to the, the trailhead with, for an hour and a half or so. So by the time he got to the trailhead, he was done. So, so he would start taking stuff out of her backpack and start putting it in all the boys' backpacks, right? So our heavy backpacks got even heavier for the hike in there, which really endeared her to us. So, so now, now I need to stop and, and say, you love your pastor? And I just want to remind you, I've grown up a lot since then, okay, and I'm more mature, and the Lord has forgiven me, and my wife has worked on me, okay, so before I go on with this story. Okay, so we go up, and, and we aren't very far up the trail before she starts complaining that her backs too have she needed to rest. There's always lots of rests. And so she sits her backpack down and goes wandered off, and I just happened to look over at her backpack sitting there, and I just happened to notice that there was a big rock next to her backpack, it's got to be from God, right? You know? And so there's a guy, a bad guy, and a good guy, and a bad guy, and a good guy, and I put the rock in her backpack. 
And she picked up her backpack and we started hiking. And we went down the trail a ways and she got tired. She said, we gotta stop, we gotta stop, please stop. And so my backpack's so heavy. Everybody's rolling their eyes because everybody knows there's nothing in her backpack. So she set her backpack down and wandered off and this time I went looking for a rock. <laughs> and we're by a river, so I found several. I put a rock in and we went for a while and she complained and we rested and they put another rock in. By the end of the trail, she had the heaviest backpack in the place. She was really mad when she found out what happened. <laughs> and John chewed me out and then later told me, funniest thing ever after I'd grown up. For some of you, the devil keeps putting a rock in your backpack. And it's that sin from the past. It's that thing that you know in your mind is forgiven, but in your heart it's really hard. And I want to tell you, when you come to take communion, you can just take the backpack out and dump it all out. And then you can yell at the devil just like she did at me, you know. And I really hate that I'm the devil in that illustration. But I'm telling you there's freedom in Christ. And I'm telling you, your past is forgiven because he paid with his body and with his blood. And you are forgiven. Don't let the devil put, stock, put rocks in your backpack. And then uh, from musicians would come. Communion tells Jesus' story. The whole, whole story is there of his life and his death and his resurrection and the life that we have in Christ. And this whole thing has been setting up for this. Uh, uh, oh, and communion endures when all else passes away. This is the one thing that will keep going long after uh, we are gone. And then uh, next week we are going to celebrate communion together. It's the first Sunday of the month and I did this in part because I want us to celebrate what I call family or family communion. And what that means is normally you come down and we serve you. But I would like next week if you would get in family units and we are going to pass the elements to you. And so maybe you choose someone in your family to serve the rest of your family. Or maybe you pass them around to the members of your family and you serve each other. And you can come in biological family units. Or, or, or I've seen some of the life groups will come and, and serve one another in, in the life group. Or maybe you bring in some of your extended family and, you, and maybe grandpa serves the whole, whole family community. I, I don't know what it is. But I know that there's something that marks you spiritually when you serve others with the Lord's table. And I believe that's a sacred time. And so next Sunday, I, I would like, be sure and be here. Be sure and be here. And we are going to worship together serving the Lord's table, this ancient, ancient legacy. And I want you to listen to me for just a minute, parents. When you serve your children communion, something powerful happens. There's something about the importance of this when dad does it or mom does it. That even goes beyond what I do. They look at, they look at the preachers and we hold a certain place and they, okay, that's important. But now mom and dad doing it, that's super, super, super important. So here's the words. We'll have them for you next week. Let's say them together. The body of Christ, which was broken for you, and his blood, which was shed for you. And all God's people said... Let me pray for you, then we're going to worship in giving. Father God, I, I pray, Lord, that you would um, 
that you would inhabit next Sunday as we gather together to celebrate at your table, Father. That you would, that you would mark our kids, Father, with, with that which is eternal, the reminder of what you have done for us in Jesus. That, that no matter where they go or what happens, they will never be able to get away from this sacred moment, this grace delivery system that is communion, Father. I pray that you would bless us as we go from this place to be in the world, but not of it, Father. Make us, make us a, a means of grace, a grace delivery system to the world around us for your glory and for your honor, and we ask it in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Woohoo! Let's worship the Lord in giving. Amen.